Does that work? Low and melodious. All right. I've got to figure out how to do this space everything. I've never done this before. I'm doing the slides from a PowerPoint. Don't do what? I did. Blank. I knew I'd wreck it that quickly. I don't quite need it yet, but um, well, you work on that. I'm excited here that you guys are picking up the Johnsons. Amazing, John Stones, amazing family. I have to tell you a brief story about them. Sue came down one day. I was taking a group of volunteers that were interested in volunteering around. Actually, it was a missions committee from the missionary church in Owen Sound. Taking them around our campus, and Sue was there and at the end. She says, I'd like to volunteer here. And I said, well, that'd be great, and we'd like to have you volunteer, but we don't have somebody to coordinate volunteers yet. So I'll let you know when we find someone to coordinate the volunteers. But every month she would call me, do you have a coordinator yet? And I kept saying, not yet, but hopefully soon. After about six months of that, she says, listen, I really want to come volunteer. How about if I start with being the volunteer coordinator as a volunteer? <laughs> I quickly found out she's brilliant with her ideas and appreciate her so much. So she came and she would drive her kids every day from Owen Sound to Durham, about, what, 45 minutes? She would volunteer while they were in school, and then when they were done school, they'd all drive home, and she did that for about two years. That's a big commitment just to help, and huge help. Then one day, about the second year, John, her husband, or Doug, sorry, her husband said, so Tim, I notice your accountant's getting a little older. What's your plan when he retires? And I looked at him and I said, you're my plan. <laughs> he says, wow. And a year later, he was there and they both came in full time and full members now, not volunteering, but full, and they've been a huge blessing, huge blessing. So it excites me to hear the church taking interest in them. Really a good, good family. Already, I hope this works. I don't know how I'm going to fit everything on here. That work? Oop, I turned it off again. I might just need you to advance the slide. Oh, it's already advancing. Look at that. Can you go back to the beginning? <laughs> One more back? <clears throat> yeah, don't give me too much tech. This, is, this will make me more room. Too. Let's keep life simple. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for being patient, too. 504 years ago, this is not the Gettysburg address, a Portuguese sailor named Ferdinand Magellan, ever heard that name before? Sailing, Portuguese man sailing for the Spanish king, which created conflict. He set off to sail around the world, and he did it in three years, started with five ships, finished with one, the Victoria. And um, lost four ships, lost a lot of crew, and, uh, but he did make it back. But in that process of the first sail around the world, or some would contest that, and that's fine. They can contest it. I don't even know what's true. But supposedly he did this in three years. But during that time, he went through the country of Indonesia, and he discovered what quickly became known as the Spice Islands, an incredible group of about a 1,000 islands inhabited by people with many, many of the spices that we all know so well today. One island, the Banda Island, is the only place in the world at that stage, a small island, that actually grew nutmeg. Another island, the Ternate Island, the only place in the world that grew cloves. Now those things have spread around, they're planted around the world now, but many islands were the source of the only place you could find certain different spices, and it became known as the Spice Islands, Quickly, the British, the Dutch, the Portuguese, the Spanish, the Danes, and many other nations started to fight for control of the Spice Islands. Finally, after about 200 years, the Dutch took control, bless the Dutch. And um, they controlled it for 300 years. Indonesians, and part of that was the Spice Islands, which the Dutch called the Moluccan Islands. Some of you there Dutch would remember the Moluccan Islands. Anybody ever hear of the Boogeyman? The boogeyman comes from the Spice Islands. The boogies, sailors, and the boogies. How about barbar books? They come from the barbar islands and the Spice Islands. Anyways, it's kind of become part of our world history, and the spices that we all use, most of them are the tropical ones, came from the Spice Islands. Anyways, with all those nations vying for control, it brought in a lot of conflict. And um, brought in Muslims, it brought in the Catholics, it brought in the Christians, it brought in quite a variety of conflict over who's going to be able to be in control and what religion's going to spread. And it has stayed that way right till today. In fact, when Kathy and I got there in January 1998, we were in the island next door of Papua, or Irian Jaya then, but the Spice Islands, the province next to us, 
after a year being there, all of a sudden, what they call the Krusahan, or which means the, um, the great conflict, broke out on the Spice Islands. And there wasn't any armies, there wasn't any soldiers, wasn't police, it was civilians, it was citizens fighting, it was the Christians and the Muslims. Suddenly a war broke out in the capital of Ambo, and in that war, thousands upon thousands were killed. Some entire villages, the entire village was wiped out between the Muslims and the Christians. The Muslims claim they killed far more Christians, but every Christian I've talked to gives me strong stories how they killed far more Muslims. But the fighting was intense, and at that time, the villages were all mixed, and so there's really difficult fighting, and if there was an entire Christian villages or entire Muslim villages, a lot of those were the ones that were wiped out. But in the process of about seven, eight years, we had missionaries serving on three islands. They all had to leave, and the fighting was intense. Many people died. But after about 2007, things settled down, and um, the, the Spice Islands, or now they're called the Maluku Islands, the village is all separated. So now, like, we d I did a trip on the Saram Island there. I'll talk about Saram in a moment. But every village, it's either Christian or Muslim. Muslim or Christian. As you drive into a village, if you see dogs or pigs, it's a Christian village. If you see goats, it's a Muslim village. And you never see goats and pigs together. You never see dogs if there's goats because it's either Muslim or Christian. The Christians have the pigs and the dogs. The Muslims have the goats. And it's clear divide. Even in the capital of Ambo now, right down the middle, they call it Batu Mera, which means the red rock where so many people died. It's Muslims on one side and Christians on the other. And the city's divided that way. During the day, they mingle fine. But at night, stay out of the Muslim area if you're Christian. And that's how it is to this day. Well, for our family, for years, we've had a heart for the, the Maluku Islands. And in fact, in 2009, Kathy and I had presented to our leadership team in Indonesia, of which I was part of. We would like to move to help open that up again. But things were happening, and our leadership team really didn't want us to do that, and the Lord had other plans, and we ended up coming back to Canada. We were asked to come back and be the director after that. And, um, but our hearts have always remained for specifically Malukus. But specifically, as a, as a mission, we've had a heart for the island of Seram. We work on Ternate, Halmahera, Taliabu, Buru, but we've never been able to get into Seram. Seram's the biggest island. 23 to 30 entire languages, all entirely different, on one island. And we have prayed, we have done surveys. We actually had one team go into the, in the 1980s, mid-1980s, moved in. We had about a total of seven families come and go, but after three years, it was hard, it was intense, the conflict. <coughs> Our families were forced to leave. The king actually kicked them out. And, um, and the, Saddam is all kingdoms, they're all, and they're called kingdoms. They're all under the Indonesian government, but every kingdom has its own king, and they're all over. There's quite a few kingdoms throughout that island of Saddam. And so um, mostly based on languages, so 23 to 30 kings. Anyways, we have had a heart to be on Saddam. We know there's a lot of tribal groups. People have never heard the gospel. But how do we get there? We've tried and we've tried. And finally, two years ago, we said, let's just give it all we've got and just do a lot of intense surveys and find where can we go. We had six new families there. Three of them came for a training here in Durham. And um, these six families have been doing a lot of surveys over the last two years. And when Kathy and I got there, the fields asked us to come back every year for as long as we can. So at this stage, it's three months a year. Um, we're going back. And we went the last two years, and we plan to continue doing this. And they've asked us to focus on the helping the new families and helping with strategy and help these families moving in. So you're a part of that. That's you guys. You've stood with us. We'll talk about that in a moment for many years. So this time when we got there, we met with Tyler Sanford, who's been through our training. I know him quite well. His dad is one of my closest friends. And, um, he's, and Tyler and Michaela, we'll talk about them in a moment. They're here right now. They're with us, and my wife was with us. And Tyler shared with us, he said, well... Let me tell you, we have done a lot of surveys. I don't remember the number, a lot. But he said, there's nowhere. Everywhere we go, it's a closed door, closed door, closed door. They kept hearing the places. They get there, it was a closed door. Kings were saying no, king, uh, usually the king. Sometimes the king would say yes, but there'd be another church group already there, and they'd say no. And so he said, there's one more place we can survey that we don't know. One more, it's the farthest place. It's kind of out of the way. It's the last chance. By this time, most of these six families were already starting to think of going somewhere else and kind of giving up. So um, after we were there, Kathy, we kind of saw the next team of surveyors go off, and they went and did a trip. And um, I want to share with you what God is doing from that short. This is just a short interview here. 
My son, Tyler, Michaela, they just finished the training. Tyler's heart's been to go there. Maybe the other kids didn't pick it up. So I don't think I pushed it on my kids, but Tyler and Michaela have a real heart to go to the Malukus and to be a part of this team. So they were there with us in great interest, asking questions, but it looks like it was closing. And in fact, one of the Tyler Sanford told Tyler Watley, uh, I don't think there's going to be a need here for you guys because Saddam is looking pretty closed. So anyways, let's go to the next slide. So these are, oh, here's our family. Um, as you can see them, I guess we're all looking the same way. Left, left, yep, good. Left side, that's Tyler and Michaela. They just finished the training in December. The next day, we actually headed off to Indonesia together. And then right after them, Brant and Laney, they've been here, you know them. And their three kids, the three little ones are all theirs. And then Kathy and I, and then the far right side, there's Alyssa and Samuel. They're in Bible school out in British Columbia, finishing in a year, and they plan to come to the m and training with Ethos Canada. So at this stage, all three of our kids are kind of going some to the far reaches of the north, some Alyssa, we're not as sure. She's planning Indonesia, thinking Papua and Tyler and Michaela are heading to Indonesia this year. As soon as they raise their support, they're heading off. So that's our three kids, and where should we base our kids? Kind of what going everywhere. So maybe we'll just have their ministry of traveling. Uh, Dave, what do you think of that? <clears throat> just got back from Indonesia two days ago. Anyway, so that's our family. Let's go to this next picture now. So this is in Seram. Interior Seram is beautiful. It's mountains. It's rugged. It's hard to get to, but there's lots and lots of tribal people groups all throughout that island, but we just can't get access. On this very last trip, our group got to a town called Ulahahan, and when they got to Ulahahan, there was a king named Paedi, Bapa Raja Paedi, which is the, the Bapa Raja father king, Mr. Eddie. <laughs> and I'm going to show you a picture here in a bit. And... Um, God had prepared the heart of this king. When I talk of kings, they're not big royal with robes, and they don't carry a scepter. They're different. They look very normal. Their homes are extremely normal. But this particular king, has his family line has been the king for over 300 years. It is run, and it's run like what we would think of, but it doesn't have the splendor. But they have power, and everybody listens to them, and they carry, if they say no, it's no. If they say yes, it's yes. Anyways, God had prepared Paedi, and when he heard the way they were there, he says, then you need to help our tribal people. We have lots of them. And so he, sent, he found two guides, guys, to take them up into the jungle. back in the, And they, think, they said, it won't take you long to get there. And there's a whole bunch of people. They hiked for two days. And they thought they were going to die. They really did. It was a tough hike. They had to cross the river 50 times, up steep mountains. There were signs they said they literally had trails six inches wide, straight down there and straight down there. And um, they were thinking, how are we going to ever get our families in here? We're still thinking that. <laughs> Um, they found a whole people group back there that have never, they said no one's ever been in there. They actually called the trail. They, gave, they said, we're going to name that whole trail you just came up, which is a great honor, I guess. We're going to call it Jalan America, which is the American road, because Americans came in on it for the first time. So now there's a Jalan America in there in the middle of the island. But anyways, this, there's about, not a huge group, maybe 20 homes, households, 20 heads of home, we call them. So it could be about 100 people. In that air, just that air, but then they could see across the valley, well, that's a whole different language group. And it wasn't that far away. They're a different language. The group there, well, they're a different language. But this seems to be the Lord is opening for the first time after 40 years. We have our, 1981 is the first time we have our mention of this people group. We need to somehow get in there. But we had kind of forgotten about them until we found them. Now we found back in our old surveys. We've been thinking of the Seti for a long time. That's the language. Anyway, let's go to the next picture. So our team has been doing all these surveys. This is another picture up another river. They're, they've been all over this island in this closed door. Let's go to the next one. They went into many, many different homes, many different kingdoms, many different languages, and it was no. And here's another picture. Let's go to the next one. These are just our different ones doing the survey. Here's a whole other language group. They were hoping to come in here. This was, seemed to be a great open door. Then the door just slammed shut. We're praying these doors open in God's time. But we finally, it looks like we can get our foot hold in one spot, and then it can grow from there. That's what we're praying for. So pray for Saddam. So next picture. So here's the King Eddie, and you'll see another picture of him in a moment, but this was our team that, on that particular, there's three of them, the two on the left and the one on the right. That's um, Tyler Sanford, then David Quast, and then Anskad, our Indonesian national missionary there. So this was him. They met him. He says, man, I like what you're doing. He, sent, he found them guides and sent them in. First time we've had a king get behind doing that. Then they hiked out a different trail. It was only a nine-hour hike out, which obviously makes sense to use that in the future. But that turns out that village is El Nusa. And they got to that village. They came on home. And then next picture. 
I went with them on the next, oh, this is, Kamu, this is that interior, the village of Kamu Kamu, where they went, that they were, met the 20 households. Let's go to the next picture. So this is King Eddie. And Eddie, everybody remember that name, King Eddie? Would you pray for him? This guy seems to have a deep and a real walk with the Lord, a hunger for the Lord, and I believe he's a, he's a real believer. It's hard to know because they all claim to be Christian. It's a Christian village. doesn't mean they're usually Christian. But this guy, I really believe he is. And had quite a bit of fellowship with him. We spent a few hours with him. When we got there, his mom had just died two days before. And yet he just entertained us and welcomed us and took care of us. And then he got, he said, I'd like to go with you to meet the king of El Nusa, but I can't because my mother died and he's got all these guests. And so we went with two other guys he arranged. We went and visited two other kings, actually. And both those kings claimed that area. So we've got to figure that out. And that could be conflict because the farther king is Muslim. But the closer king is a Christian, and we met with him. He's a new king. He was just appointed around the same time our group was in there. And um, he's wide open. So it seems that the Lord is working. We're just praying that the Lord continues to do that. So anyways, we spent time with King Eddie, and he said, you know what, my, his, you'll, oh, his previous picture, his middle daughter, she almost died at birth, and he had said, Lord, if you'll save, save her life, I want her to serve you full time. So when we're with him, he says, I didn't know you guys then, but I think it's you guys that he's gonna, she's going to serve with full time. Then he said, if for some reason I'm never not the king, I want to come be a part, a part of your team interior too and be a missionary with you. Like the Lord's just opened this guy's heart wide open. So pray for the people of Saddam. Let's go to the next picture. Um, this was the king of El Nusa. He's a brand new king, and I look awfully big, but I'm not. Um, they're small people. And yet God has prepared this guy. He woke, he's a very welcome. Opened us with open arms. Come on in. I'd love to have you here. We'd probably actually put our missionaries in his village for a few a year or so to build the relationships before they move interior. Let's go to the next picture. So we were there three months. Our first trip there was into Buda with Tyler and Michaela, and this is the road. Can you guys imagine driving this? You can see two vehicles in the distance there, but four-wheel drives, they, anything but a strong four-wheel drive pickup cannot make it in there. These guys, it was nuts, and the places they were going, I kept looking, there's no way you can make it up. Up they go. So this was our way into Buda. We've had missionaries on this island of Buda for 25 years. And so we went in, spent some time with them, just encouraged them. We did a little working on the church there. Let's go to the next picture. <clears throat> so with the first time in there, we went in with Tyler Michaela and a friend of theirs, Jesse, who's also really praying, will the Lord have him go? Pray that the Lord would convince Jesse to go, if you can remember that. Anybody you know Jesse? Do you know who I'm I hope not, because he doesn't need to know that we're trying to all pray for him, but we're praying the Lord works that way. Um, that's Tyler. He got to speak and give his testimony in the church there in Budu. Um, while we're there, let's go to the next picture. And this is their church. They've been working on this church for five years. Small group of believers, and it's been tough, and they've had land right permits, but now all the rights are through. So we, when we were there with Tyler, we worked with them for one day, and they had such a heart. And the missionary, they said, Tim, if you would come back and work with these, the congregation, it would just add motivation to them. Samangat. It will give them samangat. There's like motivation or a burning drive in them if you'll come back. So I got three other, two, other, two other missionaries together, and we went back in to work with them for a week and had a great time. And it was really fun. And uh, they said it was the first time, because they, they like to do work weeks, but they usually by the Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they're down to one person, maybe two. They worked from Monday to Saturday with the whole crowd, and they stayed driven. It was really exciting. We had a great work, and they're hoping to do that every month to a work week. So if any of you are looking for something to do in the jungle, and if you love the blazing heat, and it awfully feels like you're next door to hell at times, honestly. And I kept joking to the people, I really believe you live next door to hell here, and they just laugh because it is hot. But um, they're bit, they, we built, we made all our bricks. The bricks are done now, and they're starting to build the walls, but... What you see is where it's been for five years, but now they're starting to show some, and actually they're getting some of the covers on top of the window areas there. So that's Budu. Let's go to the next picture. Kathy and I were there. We, we were there for multiple reasons, and the field committee asked us to fly back to Jakarta just for three days. We are having for, um, we opened up Indonesia 50, 19, yeah, 50 years ago. And um, so we have a board, but they're aging, and some have died, but they're passing in the baton, and they asked us to come back, and this was a, that's the same shirt I'm wearing there. See, these shirts are what you wear in Indonesia. It's what you wear for everything fancy. There, here it's not. But I don't have any other shirts, so you're seeing me in my Indonesian garb. Um, but they, we had a, just a celebration time and a prayer time and time of worship songs just to thank the Lord for our board that has sponsored us for 50 years. Indonesians, these are powerful people. The lady that owns this house, her husband is the one that funded 
the um, coup that when the Muslims tried taking over in the 60s, her husband became a national hero, but he was the president of a bank. He opened all their coffers and he funded the, open, the fight the Muslims that kept Indonesia democracy. And the strong believer, and these are the people the Lord has put in place has been our board for all these years to keep us. We're the only organization in the world that can go in as missionaries and our visas say we're there to do religious things and bring the gospel to the unreached. Every other organization has to go in with business visas. But God has kept us there, so we were there just to respect and show appreciation to these leaders. Let's go to the next picture. I was our main role there is shepherding, just spending time with our missionaries. Kathy's sitting with Ibu Eda, one of our ladies. Oh, you saw our, you saw her husband earlier, and that's his wife. Um, so both with our Western and their Indonesian missionaries, um, and we love that. We just spend a lot of time just encouraging them, shepherding them, and trying to help them with motivation. How do they think through things? But also team formation and team allocation. It's, it was a lot of fun. Let's go to the next picture. I believe this is the last one. I don't usually say this, but I, I got really brave today because it fits into the, what we're going to look into the Word. But I don't usually talk about giving in church because right away, missionaries were moochinaries. We are viewed as the ones that are looking for money. But I thought the reality is to reach Saddam and to reach this whole world is going to cost a lot, but more than just money. Saddam needs the gospel. It's one island of a thousand islands and just that province. But around this world, there's great need still. None of us can reach this world. We all just have a little part, right? And I would say the majority are senders. They stay here. But there are some that are, that are goers and are sent out. And so I would just ask you guys, pray specifically for Saddam. There's a wide open door, it seems, starting, but huge knees across. Pray for Saddam. Give. And we're going to talk about that in Scripture. And it's, I'm not just talking giving money or time and even the time it takes to prayer with intense prayer, to volunteer, to help, to challenge others, to encourage those that are going. There's so many ways to be a part of reaching this world. And ultimately, we're looking for those that are goers. I always say to reach this world, we need sacrificial senders and we need sacrificial goers. And both sacrifice together, and it's one team. You folks, as a church, planted a church in the Moy tribe where you sent us many years ago. And what happens in Sedum, we're a part of that, but it's not just Kathy, it's we, it's, we, it's us together reaching this world. It's a team of praying and giving and going. Incredible opportunities. So let's, um, let's just take some time in prayer and then open God's word together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, every time I just even talk about this world, it just seems a job and a way bigger than us. You are the one that promised to build your church. You are the one that said to go into all the world. And Lord, we don't have to carry the weight of that, but it just still seems so immensely huge. But I thank you too, Lord, how your mighty grace, you allow all of us in our small parts to have significant parts and bring the gospel to those that haven't heard. So Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your grace. I thank you for the privilege of opening your word. And I just pray that it would be very clear today, Lord, your heart for every single soul. In your precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I think it's beautiful you guys don't have a clock in this church. I hope none of you have clocks. Before we go into the passage that Dave read, I'm going to read the passage or tell you. I mean, I'm just going to tell you the story of the passage beforehand. It kind of sets a stage for Mark chapter 5. But Mark chapter 4 at the end, we all know the story of Jesus in the storm. You can read along with me. But Jesus has just done a wonderful thing. He's been teaching crowds. The disciples have been helping. Everything is going well. They're doing the right thing. And they enter a storm in verse 35 of chapter 4. Brothers and sisters, when we have storms in our life, that often does not mean we're doing anything wrong. In fact, it could mean we're doing everything right. And it's interesting, they enter this storm. Jesus is the one that said, let's go across the lake. Jesus is the one that brought them into this storm. And I want to tell you, every single storm you ever face in your life, there's a reason. Rarely do we know the reason. Maybe occasionally, but most often it's a storm. Why? It's how it works. We're in a sin-fallen, sin-cursed world, and there are storms. But here's a storm that Jesus takes his disciples, and they get into the storm, and it's an amazing situation. Get my little notes out here. They, they get there, and it's not just a storm. These are disciples. Some of them are fishermen. They're used to the storms. Some of them are office workers. They're not used to storms. Some of them have very little life experience. Andrew, they say, was probably a middle-aged teenager, 15, 16. 
But they walk into this storm, or they, sorry, they ride their boats into the storm. But the Bible clearly says it was a fierce storm. And the storm was so bad, it says the waves were very high, and the waves were crashing in on the boat. I don't know how many of you have been on a lake or the ocean in a bad storm. I've been in a couple, and it's really scary, because you realize you are totally helpless. When you're in these massive waves and the storms, and if you go under, there's nothing you can do. That's why Magellan came back with so much less than he left with. Because when you get sunk in a storm, you don't survive that usually. Some do, but most of us don't. I shouldn't say us. Those that have drowned in storms don't. This was a fierce storm. It says it was filling the boat. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you're in a boat and the boats aren't very big and you're just bailing as fast as you can. I'm sure these disciples are just tossing the water out. But one wave is way more than you can move in 10 minutes of hard work. They don't have a lot of chance. And they're looking around. Wait, Jesus can help us. They look around. Where is he? Oh, no. He's sleeping in the back of the boat. Where is... You ever feel that way? You're in a storm and where's Jesus? He's sleeping? Well, that was their experience. They go, wake him up. Jesus, Jesus. And they said to him, don't you even care? We're going to drown. It's not that... They didn't say we might drown. It's getting bad. No, they said we're going to drown. This is it. It's game over unless you do something. Now, it's interesting, Jesus didn't even respond to their question when they said, do you even care? When people say, why do bad things happen to good people? You know what? An answer is often, more often than not, not even appropriate because we don't understand it. To try to act like we understand almost doesn't help. He doesn't even answer them. They say, what? Don't you even care? Jesus doesn't respond to that. He says, when he wakes up, he, look, he does two things. He, he rebukes the wind. I don't know what he said, but I, I can just, if I'm guessing, he would have said, wind, you're scaring them. Like, he, he rebukes it. And then he looks at the waves, and he said, silence, peace, be still, stop. Now, it's in a miracle when a wind blowing stops, but air is not too hard to move. But when you have momentum of water, that is miraculous. Massive waves, instantly flat. He rebukes the wind and he speaks to the waves. And it tells us two things. The wind stopped and the waves went calm. Both things he said happened instantly. Jesus can do that in a storm. He doesn't always do it when we want him to do it. But he does and he can when it's the right time. And this storm had a purpose. Because they had to get through it to get to the other side. Now, the disciples, it says they were absolutely terrified. Storms are scary. They're hard. We were just with missionaries that have come through some really hard times, and you're listening to their story, and I want to look at them and say, Psh, it's not that bad. Honestly, for a lot of them, it didn't sound that bad. It's going to get worse, but where they're at now, it's really bad. Others, as I'm listening, that's really bad, and I've never been in something so bad as what they faced. But all of them, they're still Jesus, and he's not sleeping. So the disciples' response to Jesus in the storm was, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Let's never forget that we have that same Jesus. And the storms can be bad. And honestly, sometimes we die in the storm if that's what God wants, and that's okay too. There's no promises we're coming out of the storm. But every storm has a purpose, and every storm our Lord is with us. <clears throat> now, Dave read chapter 5 to us, but I believe that passage of the storm sets the stage for chapter 5 because they've just come through a storm. Their adrenaline is probably just high and flowing through their veins. They're just uptight and they're scared. And it tells us the last thing is they're absolutely terrified. And they get to the shore and they're thinking, oh, finally, we get to rest. We get to relax. And they get to the shore. So verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. Now sometimes it says that there's three spellings for the same village in our Bible. But it's all the same place. And I'll probably mistakenly flip back and forth between this. But let's call it the Gerasenes as much as we can. So they get to the Gerasenes. And it says... They're, they're docking the boats, and some of these disciples know boating, and they know fishing, and they know how to land a boat, and they're landing it, and they're like, oh, finally. And it says that when Jesus climbed out of the boat, so they're there, they're actually safe, and, Jesus, and they're thinking, we made it. I don't, I don't know how this happened. Ah, now we get to have a vacation. A man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the cemetery to meet him. 
He's just gotten there. Hold on, crazy man. Jesus needs time to rest, and so do we. No, this guy is coming at him. In fact, it's extremely rare. There are very few people in the scriptures that their physical countenance is described. Very few. God gives us four verses to describe the look of one man. This is rare. There's a reason we need to know what this man looks like, and you're going to see it in a moment. This man was horrific. This man was a AD 29 or 30, whatever date they were then, version of a real horror movie. This guy was scary. Verse, verse um, 2, he's coming out. It's verse 3. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with the chain. This guy, you know where he made what he called home? The cemetery. It wasn't just a cemetery with pretty little stones. These are tombs. These are caves. They're scary. I don't know why, but caves just seem scarier to me than a rock on the ground. These are tombs. These are caves. And there's bodies all in there. And this is where this man dwelled. And he's such a vicious man, he could not be restrained, even with chains. Why? Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, not just chains, but they shackled him too, as often was the case, he snapped the chains from his wrists and he smashed the shackles. Now, I don't know how you smash a shackle. Smash, but that's got to be hard on the body. But this guy, nothing could hold him down. He was strong, he was powerful, not because of himself personally, you're going to see in a bit why, but he had evil spirits were possessing him. The power of Satan was real, which is real, by the way, the power of Satan, controlled this man entirely. He snapped the chains from his wrists and he smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Nobody. Generally, anybody in this world, there's somebody stronger than you. I remember as a teenager feeling I was pretty powerful in my 110 pounds and walking around showing you how we do that. And Dad goes, Tim, there's always somebody stronger than you. (laughs) This man, there was nobody stronger than him. He could not be subdued. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves. And listen, this is intense. He wandered in these hills howling, howling. Who wants to get close? Because this place really was possessed. There really was a howler in the middle of these tombs. And he was cutting himself with sharp rocks. He was cut and he was bleeding and he was a mess. The Indonesian Bible translated, he smashed himself with rocks. Because the Greek translation is not clear, was it cutting or was it bruising? His body was ugly looking. It was messed up by sharp rocks. There's nothing attractive. This is scary. And he's actually coming towards them. The disciples are thinking, we just survived the storm. Now this? But Jesus is still with them. I can't wait to get to heaven to see how this all worked. I can just imagine a few of the disciples deciding the boat was better, climbing back in again. They go, which direction do we go? When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him. They probably at first thought, maybe he won't notice. He seems a bit crazy. He'll just keep going. But no, he sees Jesus, and he runs to meet him, and he bows low before him. Brothers and sisters, when we face crazy people, remember this. They will always bow at some point before Jesus Christ, and Jesus is your father. The crazies, whether it's people that are mean or nasty to you, the crazies that for whatever reason, it could be a neighbor that has never made sense, but they've always made life hard for you. It could be somebody you work with. Every one of them will bow before the Lord and pray that it's sooner than later because God can use you to change their life. There is a reason Jesus took this storm. Jesus went through this storm. He says, we have to go to the other side. Did you know what? It was only to change one man. And you're going to see at the end of the passage, he gets back in the boat and he goes back with only one man changed. But that one man was enough value to Jesus Christ to go through the storm and to face what he's about to face. And I'm sure for Jesus this was intense too. <clears throat> so he comes to and he bows low before Jesus. And it says this. This is just so descriptive of the horror of this moment. He bows down and it says, with a shriek, he screams. With a shriek, he screams. Like, I don't know how that is happening, but this would have been really scary. With the shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high? If I was a better actor, I would growl these words out like a spirit, but I don't even know how that's done. I've only interacted twice in a situation where I've seen demon possession that's intense and speaking going on. Their voices are horrible. 
I wouldn't even want to try copying it. But it is intense. And you know when you're in the presence of evil spirits because the evil just makes everything tingle. And your hair stands up. I've only had that twice, and I hope I never do again. And I read these books of people looking for that, and they get, uh, that's fine. That's certainly not my calling. I'd rather work with the Lord Jesus Christ let him deal with them. With the shriek, he screams, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torment me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. So it, he's already said it before that. So it must be as he was approaching, Jesus says, I want you to come out. This guy still comes, and he bows down. And he says, don't torment me. When Jesus demanded, so when Jesus starts to interact, and I really believe this interaction is for no other reason. It's not the model of how we should do this. It was a teaching for his disciples to observe who's all-powerful. I don't, people use this and say, well, that's how you deal with spirits. No, I'm not sure that's the intent. I'm not going to argue with them, but I think he wanted the disciples to see the power of God. So Jesus says to this demon, who, what's your name? This demon replies, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. This guy was not just possessed, he was chucked full. He was full of evil spirits. This is a horrible, agonizing, and nothing we should ever desire to be a part of. My name is Legion, because there's many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits, now I love this, this is, should give you tingles of joy, because this is your Savior too. This, then the spirits begged him, because Jesus is the one that's always in power, always in control. The spirits couldn't decide what to do. They didn't get to decide where to go. They begged Jesus. And again, not to send them to some distant place. And I can only guess what they're referring to by that distant place. But my guess is the lake of fire. My guess is the place they'll be chained and they'll never get back out of. And they were saying, okay, we're facing you, Jesus. We know you could send us there now. Please don't send us to the bottomless pit. Not yet. I don't know that. It's only a guess. But whatever it was, they didn't want to get sent away to some distant place. And maybe that was Canada because that's distant from there. But I, I don't think so, possibly. There happened to be, this is so interesting, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Now, I know in this area we are familiar with herds of pigs, but generally in barns. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. I just can't help but think there's a little bit of comedy going on here. These disciples are all, or these evil spirits are all in this, this possessed man and thinking, we don't want to go to that far place, but, oh, there's some pigs. That'll be nice. Let's go to the pigs. Let's just possess. How many of you have seen an evil possessed pig? I've seen some bad pigs. I used to work for Rick Packer, and I've seen pretty bad, but I don't think they were possessed with evil spirits. And I don't even know if this has ever happened since, ever happened before. We're not told that. But these spirits, they don't send us far away. Let, can, we just, can we just go in the pigs? I, I, I don't know, I don't understand much of this, but I'll be honest with you, but none of us will. If you claim to understand it, you're still guessing. So Jesus gave them permission. Now that phrase, the evil spirits, and they're powerful. They've been tearing this man apart. They're smashing chains. They're making him beat himself. And yet now they're asking permission for Je from Jesus to do something. Can we go possess the pigs? The evil spirits came out of the man, and they entered the pigs, and the entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the hillside, the steep hillside. I almost see it. Can you imagine the steep? And then all of a sudden, all these pork, you know, just falling into the lake, just going off the cliff. They, they, they plunged down the hillside into the lake, and they drowned in the water. Now, does anybody know, did the spirits know that would happen? Was that, I don't know. I, I would think they thought they're going a good path, the easy path. Let's get in the pigs. We'll be safe there. Whatever happens, these pigs rush down the hill, all of them, and they go in the lake, and now we have bobbing pork. Well, they're just bobbing around. They're drowned. And I don't know what happens to the spirits, but you know what? It's not important because we're not told. In fact, they may have gone right to that distant place at that point. Or maybe they got to possess dead pigs for a while. I, I really don't know. But that's not the point of the story. But there's 2,000 pigs. We, I was just in Indonesia, and we were talking about this. One of our national missionaries was sharing this as we're talking about Saram and the cost. It would probably need a helicopter and all these and the prices. And he shared this story, and, and he, 
His name is Pat Janssen. One of our, he's a dear, dear brother in the Lord. And he looked at a group and said, anybody know what a pig is worth? And one of the guys says, well, it's about five juta, which is about $500 Canadian. Almost exact exchange. $500, I'm thinking, I'm, all of us were player, you know, the phones now, you can calculate real quick. 2,000 pigs, tents. That's a million dollars. And the Indonesians went, that was and the, what they call a million dollars, one milliard or one M. They said, that's a milliard. That's an M. A M went down that mountain. A whole milliard drowned that day. For them, that's an astronomical amount of money. One of the guys says, that's what a helicopter's worth. Maybe God could provide that. That's what it cost to buy a new helicopter. It's a million dollars. That herd, 2,000 pigs. I don't know if pigs are worth $500 a piece here. Maybe they are. Inflation's gotten pretty bad. Now, it's interesting. These pigs going down and drown. That's the end of that. We don't, the spirits, it's gone. It's, we don't know what happens to them, and it, we don't need to. Moving on to verse 14, we're introduced to some new group of people. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. 2,000 pigs on the hillside... For Canadians with our barns with tens of thousands, it does not seem like a lot. But to, in, like for Indonesia, typically, like in a Christian village, a rich man will have 10 pigs. A medium man, but still doing well, will have five pigs. So when you hear, and in this culture, this would not have been a Jewish village, by the way. They don't raise pigs in the Jewish villages. And around the Sea of Galilee, there was a mixture of, Kathy and I have been there. Some villages were Gentile and some were Jews. This would have been a Gentile village. And these 2,000 pigs are probably owned by everybody's together. The so-and-so, he's really rich, he's got 10. Now, so-and-so, he's got 12. I've only got two. I mean, what, but they, they would have combined them. And so that's why there's a group of herdsmen, and that's why we're going to see these herdsmen rushing all around telling everybody, because everybody owns them. Their whole investment just went off the cliff with spirits in them, and they're dead. And that's, I don't know how they're describing it, but how else do you describe your pork? It's all floating and dead with spirits. And they're running around telling everybody that. Verse 15, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man. So they're taken up. They're thinking, our wealth, our combined effort as a village, it just drowned. And they're mad. They're upset. And they come, and they see this man. <clears throat> they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were afraid. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, his power is scary. But you and I can read this and go, wow. I've heard it said that people don't change. Can I tell you something? That might be true. But God changes people. We have one family there in Saddam, one of the six families, that they've got some personal struggles. And we're not sure. They're not there from another continent, actually. They're white from another continent. I won't say you don't need to know who they are. But they, they just need some time. But they're really not ready to go into a tribal ministry. It'll bring things crashing down, probably. We need some time to work with them. Um, and you stop and think, is it risk? Are they going to change? Can they get... But you know what? God changes people. If God could take this howling, shrieking, screaming, rock-cutting man who lives in the graveyard, and he's sitting here sanely, and he becomes our first missionary in the New Testament in just a moment. Pretty amazing. God changes people. God changes you and I. Never give up with those around you, and don't ever give up on yourself. Not because you're going to do it, but our God does. I look at this one man. Jesus went through a storm with 12 men. They were scared, all four, one man. A crazy man. But God cared deeply about him, and God changed him. Now, the village has a choice. The village could have repented. The village could have said, wow, we want what he's got. What the village was thinking? Wow, because of Jesus, we just lost our wealth. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. They'd already told them. That's why they're there. But I can see it now. They're looking at the man. They're looking at the bobbing pork. And they're, they, it's like, wait, tell us again what happened? It's like they repeat the story because it just doesn't make sense. Now they have another choice. Ah, we want what he has. The crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Why? Because it cost them. Brothers and sisters, to reach this world is going to cost us. And yes, I'm a missionary. I'm not talking just about money. 
These disciples just went through incredible fear and potential harm to their bodies to the point of death coming through a storm to reach one man. That wasn't money. They just went through a scary time. And then they had to walk through this thing with this howling, shrieking man coming at them. That cost them. We would label that as stress today. And maybe some missionaries at this point are asking for stress leave. We're having breakdowns. And I know these are real things. And we have to be wise. But we have a Savior who can overcome the worst. And we have to remind each other of that all the time. As Jesus was getting into the boat, (laughs) they said, go. And he says, okay. And he was leaving the salvation of their souls with him because they rejected him for the 2,000 pigs they just lost. They didn't want more of that. Maybe there's another herd on the other hill. I don't know. They don't want to lose that one too. For whatever reason, they didn't want him around because the risk was too much. It would cost them to have Jesus stay. So they tell him to leave. And so it says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, he just got there on the boat. The beginning of the chapter, maybe he's getting out of a boat. One man, now he's getting back in the boat again. I don't know how much you've given to the Lord. Whatever you've given, be thankful. And it has cost you and it's hurt. Let God decide how he uses it. There's no greater privilege than being part of what God is doing in this world. And it doesn't always make sense. I don't know why 2,000 pigs had to drown that day. That's up to the Lord. That's, a, uh, that's a, in my mind, a funny evangelism tool. It's what he chose that day. Jesus is getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. This is awesome. This man has changed. The villagers said, go away. But the crazy man who God has just changed is saying, hey, can I come with you? Can I follow you? That's what we all dream to hear. Not me, but follow my Lord. Jesus says, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. You were a total loser, but God has just saved you. Jesus says, no, you can't come with me, but I want you to go tell your family and tell them everything God has done for you. This is the first time in the New Testament that Jesus says, go tell. All through the re- most of the New Testament, the Gospels, when people get saved, it's already happened. Lepers are saved. Sick people are healed. Jesus always says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Some did anyways. Even after the Mount of Transfiguration, they're up there, and Peter and, and James and John are so excited, and Jesus says, don't tell anybody until I am glorified, until Jesus is crucified. And what does Jesus say after he's crucified? That was the time he told everybody, the church, you and I, he says, now go tell everybody. But this is one exception where he tells this man who is a crazy man, go tell him everything that God has done for you. This is the first mission mandate given in the New Testament. And it was to a man that God has just changed. But a man, one man that Jesus put a lot of effort into reach and he left. And that's why the title today said, The Price of One Soul. I don't know what it cost. We're looking at Kamu Kamu or the Seti people group here. We're thinking a helicopter, three, four families. We know all we know of at this stage is 20, 20 families, maybe 100 people. Is it worth it? Is it really worth even looking at a million-dollar helicopter so we can service and help families get in and out of an area? There's no way for 20 families. Now, we hope it spreads much more. I remember going into Moy. The, our best guess was there's 250 people in the entire tribe. Now we know there's probably more like 1,500 at the time. But we thought it was 250 people, and I struggled. Is it worth my family laying our lives on the line and the cost, and my goodness, all the work and education we had to go through to get here for 250 people? And the Lord had to tell me, Tim, I gave my life for 12, and look what they've done. Okay, Jesus, I'm I'm probably worth 250. Let's give it a whirl. That's what our team is working through in Ambon right now. Is it worth the effort to go in there? And I'm telling you that our folks in Canada are going to pray for you. We're going to get behind you, and we will. But this is just one island of many. There's a thousand islands in just that province, and you know, we're talking the whole world. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what it's cost you, but keep giving, because our Lord has a purpose to reach this world. He said after he was crucified, after he had said he will build his church, he says, now look, 
I've been crucified. I have been given all power. Now go into all the world and tell them all the things that I taught you. Just like you told this man, go tell them everything you know. And we think, well, how do I tell people? I work with the crazy. I work in an office and right next door is the crazy and the desk next to me. Good. Just tell them what God has done for you. You don't have to have a huge theological degree. You don't have to have the whole gospel figured out. You need to tell them what God has done for you. And you know what? He's ready to do the same thing for your crazy friends. Some of them are wonderful. I don't, I, sorry. If I offend you, you might have wonderful people next to you, but you might have crazies too. Either way, they need the Lord. And whatever the cost, it's worth it. Whatever the cost, it's so worth it. <clears throat> verse 21 of this chapter is amazing. So as Jesus was getting into the boat in verse 18. Now verse 21. Jesus got into the boat again, and he went back to the other side where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. He went, left a large crowd to talk to one man. He left that area because he got kicked out and went back to teaching large crowds. Jesus will reach large crowds or he'll reach one person. What he chooses to do with your life and mine is up to him. But let's say, Lord, my life is yours because it's worth it. And what you'll get to see what he does at the end of your life when you stand before him, you're going to say, wow, Jesus, I had no idea. And it's going to, if it's up to any one of us, it'll be a small because we work together as a body, we're going to see great things done together. And that thrills my heart. It thrills my heart. Thank you that you as a church have been for many years so committed to missions and reaching this world. And I am thankful that Mike, Pastor Mike is here. And I know Pastor Mike has a heart. I've heard from others. You have a heart for the world. Never let that change. Be a church that from here... One of my favorite stories, and I've shared this with bands, but... I love to share that. I've spoken to the, what's it called, the Christian Farmers Federation or something like that. I've spoken to a lot of them. I always tell the story of the bands. One farm in southern Ontario, but they have been a part of planning a church amongst the, the Pukapaki. They've been a part of planning a church against, amongst the Manhui of Paraguay. Pukapaki of Papua New Guinea. They've been a part, one farm, of planning a church amongst the Moy in Indonesia. They sent their own child to Mongolia, now preparing lessons and material for the First Nations. God can do amazing things with all of us, wherever we are. It's not about our geography, it's about our hearts committed. See what God will do, and you will never regret it at the end of your life. For every penny, every energy, every whatever that degree of measurement is that you've given for the Lord to reach his passion of all people. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness.